Well, let's get right into it then. If you're going to teach chemistry, you need to start with the atom. If you're going to teach math, you need to start with the number line. We're learning neuroscience here, so let's start with the neuron. At the most basic level, a neuron does two things, integration and transmission. Integration is the process of taking all of the information coming into the neuron and turning it into an output message. A neuron can receive information from thousands of other cells, and it has to boil that whole mess down into a simple message that it can send on. This is complicated, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it over the next couple years. Transmission, the other function, is exactly what it sounds like. It's the process of a neuron sending information to another neuron, or sometimes to a different type of cell. Some neurons only have to transmit their signals a tiny distance, one you couldn't even see under most microscopes. Others have to transmit over huge distances. There's one neuron in the blue whale, for example, that travels 25 meters. Now, there's a saying in architecture that form follows function. In biology, this is usually backwards. Function follows form. Giraffes don't have long necks so that they can eat leaves from tall trees. Giraffes have long necks, and coincidentally, there are tall trees around, so the giraffes eat the leaves off of those trees. Then they survive, and since any giraffe with a mutation that causes a short neck will die off pretty quickly, the long neck trait is maintained in the population. This might sound pedantic, but it is good to keep in mind. Thinking from a strictly evolutionary perspective can be a bit unwieldy at times, but it's the only way to get at the real beauty, the sheer ridiculousness of it all. And it's also just correct, and I'll get yelled at by my friends and colleagues if I'm too loose with my language. On that note, I'm going to try to avoid anthropomorphizing things that aren't human, to avoid saying things like the cell decides and whatnot, to keep it all strictly mechanistic, but the English language isn't actually very good at this stuff, and I'm going to slip up sometimes. So try to always keep this perspective in the back of your mind, that the brain is not designed. There's no gremlin hiding in every neuron deciding when it should fire. It's all just a miracle of coincidence maintained by intense selective pressure over billions of years. Regardless of your religious beliefs, the brain is not engineered, it is evolved, and there is a meaningful difference between those things. So, let's talk about the form of the neuron. Just like with everything else in these early episodes, this is going to be overly generalized and a bit simple. And there are a lot of different types of neurons, and they don't all look like the Purkinje cells I'm describing here. But in general, a neuron has three parts. The axon, the dendron, and the cell body. The axon is the transmitting part of the neuron. It's long and thread-like, and it sends information out to other neurons. It can connect to thousands of neurons in multiple different locations, and it's often the biggest part of the cell. Some cells don't have an axon, but the cells that do have one only have one. There are no neurons with two axons that we found so far. Uh, dendrons, or dendrites, are the logical other half of the equation. They're where integration happens. The axon transmits signals, and the dendrites receive them. There are often many dendrites on a single neuron, sticking out in different directions, but they're fairly short. They don't stick out too far, and they usually look kind of bushy. If a signal needs to go a long distance, it's the axon that does the heavy lifting. Again, dendrites can receive signals from thousands of cells, and they are where the integration happens. Now, the third part of the neuron is called the cell body, or the soma. This part obviously is important, but it's not all that much fun until you start getting into the really nitty-gritty biochemical stuff. It's basically the part that keeps the cell alive. It's where the DNA is stored, and it contains most of the moving parts of the cell. Most cellular machinery can't really handle getting constantly electrocuted, so it makes a lot of sense that it's kept off to one side in its own little compartment away from the action. We'll get more into detail about the soma at some point or another. Now, neurons are so highly specialized that they're not actually all that good at the day-to-day -day upkeep stuff. They're pretty hard to keep alive in a petri dish, especially compared to more common cells like the ones in your skin. Uh, fortunately, the brain has other types of cells that are specialized to play other roles. Collectively, these are called the glial cells. There are a lot of them, and they probably deserve their own episode, but I just wanted to briefly mention them here. 
It used to be pretty well accepted that glial cells were the second-class citizens of the brain, playing a supporting role to the much more interesting and important neurons, but some more recent research has suggested that they might actually play a direct role in cognition and in neural function. We'll get to that eventually. This is a good illustration of another evolutionary concept, which is that nothing is ever simple. As humans, we like to be able to categorize things and put them in boxes. Evolution is not kind to this endeavor. Just like there aren't a lot of straight lines in nature, there aren't a lot of clear distinctions in biology. Just about everything I've said in this episode has asterisks and hidden disclaimers, and those disclaimers are some of the coolest parts. We'll get there eventually. The last thing I want to bring up in this episode is the synapse. Synapses are the connections between neurons. They're where axons and dendrites meet. The axon transmits information, and the dendrite receives it, and the point where they communicate is called the synapse. Pretty simple. There can be more than one synapse connecting two neurons, and synapses also vary in size. Because of this, during integration, some information is always weighted more heavily than others. This different weighting of information is one of the ways that neurons establish their own identity, their own place in the brain. As we'll see in future episodes, neurons compete with each other, especially during development, for representation in the brain and for their own identity, for their own little role in the nervous system. Synapses can also be positive or negative. We usually refer to this as being excitatory or inhibitory. An excitatory synapse will make a cell more likely to fire, and an inhibitory synapse will make it less likely to fire. Next week, we'll talk about how neurons communicate and transmit, and how a synapse can cause a cell to fire, and what we actually mean when we talk about a cell firing. The weird and wonderful world of electrophysiology.